you need a Bible, uh, there are Bibles in the back, by the way. Um, Psalm chapter 1, if you are new to the Bible, um, just open up the Bible right in the center and you're going to find the Psalms. And go to the first chapter and you will find where we're at, verse 3. If you need a Bible, just raise up your hand and we can get you a Bible uh, from the back. Psalm chapter 1, verse 3, I'm going to read it and then we're going to pray and ask God to just reveal his word to us this morning, speak to us through his scriptures. Follow along as I read. Psalm chapter 1, verse 3. He, meaning the godly man, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Let's pray. God, I ask that as we come into this verse, as we are looking to extract your truth from Psalm chapter 1, verse 3 that you have for us, I pray that you will take these words on paper, this ink that's been placed on this sheet of paper, and that you will take the truth from that, that you will do something in our hearts, that your Holy Spirit will move through this room, that your Spirit will move through my words, and that this will become very alive to us, that it will become a living word this morning. God, there are uh, those in this room who are in deep need of conviction. There are those in this room who are, who are in deep need of encouragement, the kind of conviction, the kind of encouragement that only you can bring. And so I ask then that your spirit does the work in our hearts today that we can't do, that I can't do, and that you show us the face of Christ, that you bring us to our knees and that we move away from our sins and that we embrace the cross of Jesus Christ this morning. And it's in his name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Imagine that you visited the world's greatest garden of trees. I don't know if it exists, but imagine it did. I think that would be called an arboretum. Is that right? I'm not much of a uh, horticulturist. I don't even know if I wanted to say the word because it might be, I don't know. A garden of trees, all right? And you go there and... and expectation built up, some of the most beautiful trees, some of the most beautiful fruit that you're going to see in the entire world. And when you show up, what you find is that the trees kind of suck. Like you're walking around and um, just like I'm trying to find this thing, you're trying to find a tree that looks good. Check one, two. We're doing a little sound check here. There we go. Coming along. So you're walking around looking at these trees, and what you find is that the trees are actually rather raggedy. They don't look good. They're kind of falling to pieces. They're dead. The, the leaves are withered and missing. Um, the, the trees have weird stuff kind of growing on them. You don't know what it is. You just don't want to touch it. The bark smells funny. And you're like, man, like, i got to get out of this death hole before it consumes me. So you get out of the tree garden, arboretum. You found a, a lemon tree that, there's a sign that said, pick your own lemons, and it was just a dead, raggedy thing of branches. Now, 
the Bible describes Christians as trees, all right? Psalm 1 describes us as beautiful, strong, healthy, fruit-bearing trees. So what this means is, so the church is to be like a garden, hint, hint, all right, see where we're going with this? It's to be like a garden of healthy, beautiful, fruit-bearing trees. And so when someone walks into a church, and, and there, even the Bible says this is to be a garden of beautiful, fruit-growing, healthy trees, and they walk in and there's trees that are dead, and there's, there's no fruit anywhere, and there's just branches that are just kind of sagging and hanging, and the leaves are all withered, and what maybe once was fruit is just rotten and smeared across the ground. They would say, get me out of this death hole as quick as, <laughs> as quick as you can. That's not to be the church. The church is to be the opposite of that. The church is to be the place where there's life, the place where there's health, the place where there's fruit just like falling off the branches and it tastes sweet and good and everybody's enjoying it. So the Bible calls us trees. This is the image that we're given in Psalm, that we are to be beautiful, strong, healthy trees. And guys, this is my prayer for the garden as we grow as a garden, all right? It, it, let's go with that analogy that we've named ourselves after. As we grow as a garden, my prayer is that we become beautiful, healthy, solid, fruit-bearing trees with leaves that do not wither, so that the world may come in here and see this beautiful garden. My prayer is this morning that the Spirit might sweep across this room right now and grow in us the seeds that we need in order to become that kind of garden, to have that kind of fruit, that kind of growth in our midst. My prayer this morning is that those who are not trees, those who know that they're not trees, I'm not a Christian, those who know that they're just journey, my prayer is that God will save you this morning, that God will move in your heart, that he will open your eyes to the fact that you are a sinner in need of a Savior and that you will see Jesus as your Savior. My prayer is for those who are uh, struggling, those who are trying to bear some fruit, you're trying to be faithful, I, my prayer is that you'll be encouraged this morning. Those of you who are fruitful, that you will continue to be fruitful. And my prayer is for those of you who call yourselves Christians, but you're not bearing fruit, my prayer is that you will be saved this morning. So with that, let's go into Psalm chapter 1, verse 3. We're going to just pick this verse apart. Um, what we see here is a uh, definition of what this tree should look like. I, there's four different characteristics that these trees, and guys, just uh, some, some people aren't like really good with analogies. When I say tree this morning, everybody know that I'm talking about a Christian, okay? So what does tree mean? All right, we've got that analogy covered. So when we, what, we're, what we see are the uh, four characteristics, descriptor, descriptors of what this tree, what a tree should look like, this healthy tree that we're talking about today. And so we're going we're gonna to look at them. I'm going to give them to you right now. If you are taking notes, you want to jot it down. Number one, it's they, are, they are drinking the water of the gospel. Number two, they are bearing fruit. Number three, they're withstanding the heat of trials. And number four, they're prosperous. And so it starts with what they're consuming, with what they're taking in. 
It then goes to what they're producing and then how they respond to problems and then their ultimate uh, prosperity. And so let's just pick it apart. Psalm chapter 1, verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. So the first characteristic of this tree is that this tree is drinking from the water of the gospel. Now, how do I know that that's referring to the gospel there? What, what, what is the water that he's referring to? In Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, he's a prophet uh, a little bit later in the Bible here. In Isaiah chapter 55, he says, in, in looking forward to the Messiah, to the coming one, to, this is, this is uh, messianic prophecy that Jesus is going to come and he's going to die and he's going to restore all of humanity. Looking forward to that, Isaiah says, come everyone who thirsts. Come everybody who thirsts. Come to the waters. And then later, Jesus himself in the Gospel of John, as Jesus appears, he's on this planet, he's walking, he's talking, he's teaching, he sits with the woman at the well. You know this story? And she's, she's drawing water, right? And they're kind of sharing water, and Jesus looks at it, and he's like, you know, this water uh, isn't really going to satisfy you. You drink this water, and, and you're thirsty again. And he says, the water that I give, now listen, he's, he, this is like prophecy right here. He's, he's talking about the water that Isaiah talked about. He said, the water that I give is water that will quench your thirst forever. The water that I give, you, you will never thirst. It is completely satisfying to the one who thirsts. And then he says that this water, it's welling up into eternal life. This eternal kind of water. And then we get a picture. Listen, we get a picture of that eternal water. This water that wells up into eternal life in the very last chapter of, of, of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 22. This picture of heaven, all right? There's a tree that grows. You, you tracking here? There's a tree that grows in heaven right alongside the water of life. And then Jesus gets on the mic and he says, come, everybody who thirsts to drink from this water. And then he says it's completely free. There's no cost. You see, the water is the gospel. The water is the fact that Jesus, that first that you are a sinner, that Jesus died for your sins, and that he has given you life. And you've been given the very, the very spirit of God. And so this tree then is planted and drinking from the water of the gospel. A tree without this kind of water, a tree without the gospel, is a dead tree. This is a churchgoer. This is a do-gooder. This is a moral person. This is, I don't know, you, you went to church with grandma growing up. I'm good. I, 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 I've got my plans together, I'm successful in life, I'm happy in life, I don't need anything else, I'm, I'm pretty good in my morals, I'm trying to follow the Bible, I'm trying to do, I'm, I'm pretty good. That would be a dead tree. Because listen, Jesus did not come to save the satisfied. He did not come to save the one who is satisfied in their own good works. He didn't come to save the one who's satisfied in the fact that they go to church every Sunday. Jesus came to save the thirsty. The gospel is for the thirsty, not the satisfied. Are you thirsty this morning? Are you, listen, are you drinking from the gospel? 
See, a lot of times as evangelical Christians, we think we're supposed to believe the gospel, which we are, but it's something that we kind of do way back then. Yeah, when I was six, I believed the gospel, and now I'm on to something else. No. The Christian is someone who, yes, believes the gospel, but also drinks from the gospel. Like, it is what you've got to drink. It's all you've got. This, you, you, you drink from this truth that you are a sinner, that without Christ you are depraved and on your way to hell and there's nothing good in you, and that God sent his son to die for sinners. And that Jesus died for you and that God chose you and redeemed you and saved you. You drink from that every day. That's your water. That's what you're drinking. That's your sustenance. The tree is someone who is planted in the gospel, in the waters, the stream of Jesus Christ. This is why, if you've come to the garden for any amount of time, you probably know this. This is why we talk about really two things every Sunday. We talk about sin, the fact that you're a sinner, and we talk about the fact that Jesus died for sinners. That's pretty much our message. Like, we don't have a whole lot of We don't talk about a lot of different stuff. I mean, we package it in a whole bunch of different ways. But every Sunday, we're talking about the fact that you are a sinner and that Jesus died for sinners, that God loves you. For those of you who are new to the faith or you're not a Christian, you need to hear that you are a sinner and you need to know that Jesus died for sinners, that he loves you. If you have been a Christian for 40 years, This morning, you need to remember that you are a sinner and that Jesus died for sinners and that he loves you. And we drink from that every day. That's, that's, That's all we talk about. As the as the godly the godly man then is a is a man who is planted by the streams of water, planted in the gospel. And secondly, here's the second characteristic, right? Planted in the gospel, drinking from the gospel. Second characteristic, he is fruit yielding. Look at it. Verse three, he's, a, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its, read the word. Come on, a little participation here. Fruit, everybody say fruit. <laughs> Yummy fruit in its season. What does that mean? What does it mean that he's producing fruit? In the Gospels as well, there's this story of John the Baptist, where John the Baptist is baptizing people. That's how he got the name John the Baptist, all right? He's baptizing people into the baptism of repentance, knowing that the Savior is coming, the Christ is coming. And, And the Pharisees actually come out to watch one of these baptisms. So the Pharisees show up. And, uh... The the Pharisees are like these trees without fruit, all right? These are, in our understanding today, they're they're Christians who go to church every Sunday. They're Christians who do the right things. They're good dads, good moms, good citizens. They, They try to keep the law. They tell you what to do. They tell you where you're wrong. These are the Pharisees. The Pharisees came out to watch one of the baptisms, and John actually stops the baptism, and he looks at them, and he says, you brood of vipers, all right? Get this picture, all right? People are getting baptized. Dude's just showing up to just kind of watch, and he stops. He's like, you brood of vipers. Then he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So like, if you've repented, uh, so 
You were going this direction. You were a sinner. Your eyes are opened up. Your spirit's awakened to the gospel. You receive Christ and you repent. Then he says, bear fruit in keeping with that repentance. Like show some evidence of your repentance. Have a changed life. Have a changed heart. Some outward external evidence. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And then he says this. He follows that up. He gets harder. He says the axe is already being laid to the tree with no fruit on it. And it's about to be cut down and burned. This was his message to his spectators. Why? Because the Pharisees were do-gooders. They were moral people. Sure, that, you know, they had that going for them. But they weren't thirsty. They weren't thirsting for the gospel. They had, they, they, they had no clue what repentance meant for them. They had new, no clue what it meant that they were actually in their sins, that they were sinners. And so they were trees with no fruit. And John said that they're, they're worthless. They're worthy of one thing, that's to be cut and burned. Trees are to bear what? Fruit. If you're new to Christianity, fruit is this term that the Bible uses and often Christians use to talk about it, life change. It's sort of synonymous with life change. Um, at, at its most simple level, there's the fruit of the Spirit. Everybody know what the fruit of the Spirit is? Love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. There's the fruit of the Spirit. These are things that when, when you become a Christian, you repent of your sins and you believe in Jesus the Spirit comes to live in you. You're no longer dead, but you're now living. And the natural outworking of the fruit of, uh, or of the Spirit is that it produces this kind of fruit in your life and you become a more loving person. You become a more self-controlled person. Uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's basically any kind of life change that comes about from, uh, from repenting and believing the gospel. Listen, at the very center of the Christian message is this belief that people change. Now, I want everybody to say amen to that if you've been changed by the gospel, all right? People change. And at the center of that message that people actually change, we believe that we only really change when we realize that we're a sinner and that Jesus died for sinners. And we believe the gospel. That's how real change comes about. And then fruit is the evidence of that change. Fruit is, is the changed outcome, the changed behaviors, meaning you used to do bad things and then you got saved and believed in Jesus and were changed and now you don't do those bad things. Like it's that, kind of that simple. You used to hook up with girls or guys and then you got saved and you believed in Jesus and you stopped. You used to think this way and now you think this way. You used to do these things and now you do these things. You used to gossip and you used to hate and you used to slander and then you got saved and now you are loving and you're faithful and you're encouraging and you're generous. That is all fruit. It's, that's evidence it's a, a, of an internal transformation that took place. And so then the, the tree, the Christian, is to be someone who is bearing fruit, who is bringing about fruit in its season, meaning that change takes time, that we, we, there's patience involved, and as, as we stay in the gospel, and as we keep drinking the gospel, we know that God is going to start putting some fruit 
on our trees. Are you guys bearing fruit in your life? Are you bearing fruit? Do you sin less today than you did a year ago? Are you more aware of sin in your life than you were a year ago? You know what I've found? Is that the more I grow, I was just talking to my father-in-law about this, the more I grow as a Christian, the more I'm aware of my own sin. The more I, the more I see it, the more I, I feel it. And at the same time, though, simultaneously, the more joy I have in the gospel, in the grace, like, the more we realize how screwed up we are, the more we fall in love with Christ. Because, man, he died for one wretched sinner when I think of myself. Are you more aware of your sin? Do you hate sin more today than you did yesterday? Are you bearing fruit? Two things before I move on to the next characteristic, two things about fruit that I, that I want to address. One, um, examine, examine your own fruit and invite others to examine your fruit, parentheses, and see if you have any. All right? Let me say that again. Get the picture. Examine your own fruit and then invite others to examine your fruit, in parentheses, and see if you have any. Because you might not. Like, you might think you're a Christian, you might think you're this fruit-bearing tree, and the more you examine your own fruit, and the more you invite other people to say, hey, look at me, see if you see external evidence of the internal transformation that took place, you might find that there's not a whole lot of fruit there. There's this rapper named Stephen the Levite, a gospel rapper who has this rap on church membership which I think is profound. Like, if you want to learn about church membership, listen to Stephen the Levite's rap on church membership. He says this. I wanted to actually read part of it. I wish I could rap, um, so I can't, and I'm not going to try. And everybody say thank you. So I'm just going to read it. He says this. It actually happens at salvation, meaning entrance into the body of Christ, all right? It actually happens at salvation, but practically it happens in active participation. If one is a fact, then two is the demonstration. For the maturing Christian, nothing should separate them. If one is the truth, then two is the proof. If that's aloof, then number one is a lion without a tooth. If not the elect, who's inspecting your fruit? Just a select group of heads from your crew? That's not a test, dude. It's more like a bad science experience with no control groups in the lab and bias experiences. It's foolish to laugh denying it's serious when the only proof that you have is kind of mysterious. Did you guys track with that? Like he, said, he has some like profound theology right there. What he's essentially saying is this, is like who's examining your fruit? Like you're, you're saying that you're a Christian. You're going around telling people that you're a Christian. Do you have other people that are examining your fruit and affirming, yeah, I see external evidence of the internal transformation that you claim to have. Who's examining your fruit? This is Stephen the Levite's case for church membership, and this is mine as well. This is why we at the Garden take membership seriously. Membership is not just saying, I'm cool with this and I'm, 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 going, I'm rolling with you guys. Membership is presenting yourself to brothers and sisters saying, examine me. Examine my fruit. Like, I think I'm a Christian. 
I, I have a testimony of being, I have, I, I have an understanding of the gospel, and I want to invite you into my examination process, and I want you to look at me and see if I am bearing external evidence of the internal transformation that took place. Examine my fruit. And then when your fruit is examined, you're part of the church, then we continue to take examining your fruit seriously. And if you stop producing fruit or bearing fruit, all of a sudden you end up with a tree with no fruit on it, we take that seriously. It's like, dude, what happened? I mean, we saw some fruit popping up and all of a sudden, like, I'm not seeing fruit in your life. Examine your fruit and invite other people to examine it along with you and see if you have any. Second thing I want to say about fruit is this. Stop looking at everybody else's fruit. All right, so it's sort of like this weird thing, like examine each other and also stop looking at each other, all right? Like get your eyes off of that tree's fruit and put your eyes back on the God that gives fruit. It's kind of that simple. But, but we do this all the time. Like this person is so much better than I am. Look at, look at how they've conquered this sin that I still struggle with. They're a better person than I am. God loves them more than because I'm still struggling and they're not. Look at, look at how look how fruitful his marriage is. Look how fruitful his family life is. He's a better dad, a better husband than I am. God must love him more. Look at how look at how, how great of a wife she is. God must love her more than he loves me. Look, you've got to stop uh, being jealous of the fruit that other trees are bearing. They, those trees that are bearing a lot of fruit, all right, there's always going to be a tree that's bearing more fruit than you, right? Everybody say amen. I mean, if you start looking around at other people's fruit, here's, here's what you're going to find. You're going to sin either way if you start looking at people's fruit, all right? Because what you're going to do is this. You're going to say, okay, this person, this tree has more fruit than I do. And then you feel miserable about yourself. You start to believe that they actually earned it somehow or that you're not good enough or that you're not earning it enough or you're doing something wrong and so God's not giving And you start beating yourself up and you, you feel miserable and you forget the gospel that you're saved by grace, not by works, that it's God that produces the fruit, not something you do, all right? But then you look over here, and you see this tree that doesn't have a whole lot of fruit on it. And you kind of count your fruit, and you've got more apples than they do. Now what? I'm pretty spiritual. I'm doing really well. I mean, look at me compared to them. So you sin either way when you start looking at people's fruit. You get puffed up or you get beat up. So stop looking at other people's fruit and start looking at the God that gives fruit. Because, by the way, it is God that gives fruit. What did they do to earn it? Nothing. Nothing. It's just simply a gift of God as he pours out his spirit in an individual's life and they begin to bear fruit. Praise God for it. And keep your eyes focused on the God who will bring out fruit in your own life. Amen? Can we move on from fruit? I should have given everybody apples or something to 
I, I need to do better at these sort of like hands-on experimental illustrations. Um, all right, so the, the, the godly man, the tree, is planted in the streams of water. He's planted in the water of the gospel. Secondly, he yields fruit in its season. He's fruit-bearing. It's a beautiful, healthy tree. Thirdly, its leaf also does not wither. His leaf does not wither. Now that sounds beautiful, but what does it mean that his leaf does not wither? I have flower boxes at my house. If you've ever been to my house around the corner, in the summertime I put these little boxes out and I try to grow flowers in them, all right? And uh, man, like this summer was really hot, wasn't it? It's like, what, what do you think happened to my, the leaves on my flowers um, during those July days where the temperatures hit 163 degrees, which it wasn't far from that, let's be honest. It was hot. What do you think happened to the, to the leaves on my plants? They withered, right? I mean, by 3 o'clock, no matter how much I'm watering them, they're like, I'm done. I'm giving up the ghost. I'm going to plant heaven. Look, what he's saying is, is, is that these leaves that grow in this tree will not wither. What, is, what, is heat, what does heat mean in the Bible? The Bible uses heat as this picture of trials, adversities, pressures, problems, fires that come with life. I think of James 1. You can read it later. James 1 talks about the rich and how the rich, okay, sure, they're beautiful. They've got a lot going for them here on this earth. But what he says is when the sun starts to scorch, when this intense heat comes, which could refer to the problems of life or it could refer to the final judgment, when the intense heat comes, their leaves wither. You see, the Christian, the tree, is to be one who's drinking from the gospel, producing fruit, and has these leaves that do not wither when the heat comes. How do you know that a Christian is a Christian? Send them trial after trial after trial and see if they persevere. The Christian is someone who perseveres through the heat of adversity, of tragedy, of pain. I mean, we feel the pain. Send us a trial and it's like we feel the strain of it, yet we persevere. We lose what are, uh, what are our common sources of happiness and we feel the loss, yet we persevere. We go through a tragedy and we mourn and we weep and we persevere. We are beat and we are left naked for dead and we cry and we persevere. The Christian is someone who perseveres through the heat, through, through the trials, through the pains, through the tragedies. Our faith remains until the end. By the grace of God and by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we are kept by God. We have leaves which do not wither. Fourth thing, so we've got the tree that is planted in the streams of water, bears fruit, it has leaves which do not wither. Verse 
in all that he does, it says, in all that he does, he prospers. Hmm. What? Everybody read that with me. All right, let's read it on the count of three. One, two, three. In all that he does, he prospers. Now everybody say, what? Like seriously? How can you, I mean, in all that I do, I prosper. Like I have failed a lot of tests in my day. <laughs> like I have tried to do my best and I've gotten an F minus. All right? Like in all that we do, we prosper. Like, how can David have the audacity to even say that? It almost sounds like heresy, doesn't it? In all that he does, he prospers. This is written by the dude who currently is being chased by his enemies, all right? So he didn't prosper with, like, people skills so much. Like, he's got some enemies out there. In all that he does, he prospers. And then we, we continue reading like the, the Bible, the Old Testament. We get to Malachi, the prophet Malachi. He says, he says that the, the wicked, not only do they prosper, um, uh, not only do they prosper, let me find it here. I have it written down somewhere. Oh, here we go. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test, he says, and they escape. Okay, so how do we reconcile that with this statement that the righteous, the tree, in all that they do, they prosper. When it seems that often in this world, the wicked are the ones that prosper in all that they do. And the Christians, the righteous, in the Old Testament, they're often weeping and they're just like crying out like, oh, like we're losing everything, what's going on? And then even in the New, New Testament, there's persecution and there's problems and there's trials and there's famines and like, how can he say that the tree, the Christian, the righteous, in all that they do, they prosper? How can he say that looking at your own life? I mean, unless you are like this craziest, you've probably failed at some point in life, right? You might, might be currently failing right now at something. You're like, doesn't make... How can he say that? John Piper said this. I, I want to read this quote from Piper. He once said this, what seems naive in the Old Testament, a.k.a. the godly man will prosper in all that he does, all right? What seems naive in the Old Testament points profoundly to the work of Christ and the reality of the resurrection. It's not until we get to the pages of the New Testament and we start walking with Christ and we start seeing the story of Christ played out that we begin to realize what David was actually thinking about, what the prophets were thinking about, what, the, what, everybody was, what the entire scriptures are pointing to and looking forward to. This Christ who comes and who is then overwhelmed by the failure in life, the problems, the, 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 the pain, the tragedies, the loss, and he is crushed for our sins. He dies in our place. What are they pointing to? What's the Old Testament pointing to? What is David pointing to here? In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul, the, the Apostle Paul, he writes to believers. He says, Oh, death, where's your victory? Grave, oh, grave, 
you used to have us. But now, look at it. Where's your sting? What do you got on me? The victory is won. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, thanks be to God who gave us victory. Everybody say victory. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. In light of the resurrection, in light of the knowledge that God has come in the flesh, in the, in the person of Jesus Christ, has taken on the sin of sinners, has paid our punishment on the cross, has then risen from the dead, given us victory over the greatest trial and battle of all, and that is the battle, the war of sin and death. Christians, in light of that, that victory, that we have won. Paul writes to them, and he says, your labor is not in vain. Though it's not always seen on this earth. Maybe we could say, though, it's rarely seen on this earth. There is nothing, nothing, that a Christian does in the name of Christ that is in vain. The battle's won. The war is over. The victory is ours. And we have a much broader understanding of what life is all about. While in the temporal realm, we often are faced with problems and failures and dilemmas and tragedies, in the eternal realm, the much more real realm, the war is won. And we are prosperous in all that we do. So the godly man is like a tree planted by the streams of water which brings forth fruit in its season. Its leaf doesn't wither and all that he does, he prospers. Now I want to address four different um, kinds of people I think uh, every one of you in this room right now probably falls into one of these four different categories. And if you're like, you know, yo, I'm postmodern, don't categorize me, right? I'm just going to categorize you, all right? So I'm going to break you up, put you into four different squares and say this is who you are, okay? <laughs> um, I think I'm going to give you four different uh, types of people, and I think each one of you probably falls into one of these categories, all right? The first one is those of you who know that you're not trees, all right, you're sitting here, you're not a Christian, you're welcome here, glad you're here, and you know that you're not a tree, you're exploring things, you're thinking it through, you're trying, you know, I don't know if this is for me or not. You know that you're not a tree, all right? Repent and believe the gospel. Look, um, the word here is, is planted. He is like a tree who has been planted by rivers of water. Now, if you plant something, it actually means that it's coming from somewhere else, right? This isn't a tree that just simply shot up on its own. This isn't its own natural habitat, but rather it's taken out of its natural habitat, aka the world of sin and death, and it's been planted or replanted in the gospel. What does that mean? How does that, how do, how, what, what does the Bible call us to? What does it mean to be planted by the streams of water? Repent and believe the gospel. Recognize that you are indeed a sinner. That you're lost. 
that you're a slave to your sin. And turn from your sins, turn to the face of Christ, and know that Jesus died for sinners in your place. And believe and trust Jesus. Turn from your sin, trust Jesus. And God will plant you by the streams of water. Second, second category, second group of people. New trees who have yet to bear much fruit. So those of you who are new trees, all right, you're these beautiful young little sprouted trees, woo, and you don't have a whole lot of fruit on you yet, all right? Like some of you have recently become a Christian. Some of you are pretty new to the faith. You're new to church. You come here and you, you hear songs that are being sung and you're like, that's a weird concept. Like, never heard of that before, you know? You're trying to figure it all out, but, but you're excited and you want to grow. You want to get over this sin that you struggle with. You want to move beyond. You want to produce fruit. You want to do good things. And you're looking at your branches and you just have like all these little buds and you're like, come on, like grow some fruit. I want to preach and I want to minister and I want to serve and I want to like change the world. Like you have all of this good energy. This is how new Christians are. Excited and impatient, all right? Look, you will produce fruit in your season. Your call is to remain in the gospel. Your call is to look to the God that produces fruit and start, or I shouldn't say start, continue drinking from the water of the gospel. Drink from it daily. Drink from Jesus. And just know that in your season, God is going to put some beautiful, sweet fruit on your tree. All right, third category. Um, those of you, this is kind of a tough one, uh, who, these are the old trees, all right? Not age. We're gonna call it uh, old as in years you've been calling yourself a Christian. These are the old trees who should be bearing a whole heck of a lot more fruit. All right? You can write that down in your notes. A whole heck of a lot more fruit. Some, some of you have um, been in church for years. Some of you have been calling yourself a Christian for years. Some of you were born into the church. You had parents in the church. You were brought up. You sat in Sunday school. You, you, know, you know all about the flannel graphs. And when you, when you really look at your life, when you really start to examine your fruit, what you find is there's not a whole lot of fruit there. Some of you, maybe there's none. Walking around, telling people, telling lost people that you're a Christian, giving yourself this title of Christian, and you're not producing, bearing fruit. And you've been doing this for years and years. It's like you're playing for two teams. It's like on Sunday mornings, you want to play on Jesus' team, Saturday nights, you want to have sex with someone you're not married to. You can't play for two teams. Can't do it. It's one or the other. You are either a member of God's family or you are a member of the world. 
You can't be shooting hoops on Sunday with Jesus. And then throughout the week, playing on the opposing team. So my friend, your, your, your call, my call, my encouragement, the Bible's call for you is to repent and believe the gospel. To say, okay, I am done playing for this coach. I'm done playing for this team. I am no longer one of them. And I'm turning away. I'm turning away. And I am playing now for Jesus' team. Jesus is your coach. And by the way, with Jesus as your coach, you will bear fruit. It's just what we do. So choose which team you're on and then go with it. Repent and trust Jesus as your coach and ask him to start putting some fruit on your trees. Fourth category is for the uh, fruitful and healthy um, trees in the room. Those of you who, who are bearing fruit, those of you who are um, remaining true, you're re- remaining faithful to the gospel, you remain, you, you're, you're keeping your eyes focused on God. You, when you think about the dramatic transformation that you've seen in your life, it almost draws you to tears every time. My word for you is, is um, Jesus isn't just giving you fruit for your own enjoyment. It's not just for your own pleasure. As a matter of fact, fruit that grows on a tree, so a healthy tree springing up, a lot of fruit on it, if the fruit isn't picked and if something's not done with that fruit, it kind of just hangs there. And then it kind of starts to rot. And then it kind of falls off the tree onto the ground. And who wants to pick up the apples on the ground and eat them? Right? I mean, some of you have so much fruit on your trees. God hasn't given you the fruit for your own enjoyment. So start sharing that fruit. I mean, let others taste your fruit and see that whatever it is that's supplying this tree with nourishment is actually good, a.k.a. the gospel, all right? It's good that they will then turn themselves to that water and that they'll begin drinking that water and that they'll know that God is good. Look, right along with this idea of fruit bearing comes this idea of um, outward ministry, this outward expression of fruit bearing. Fruit bearing is not just simply a personal, private, individualized thing where we just get really good between me and God. Are people coming to Christ around you? Are you seeing individuals who were lost, saved? Are you giving people the opportunity to taste your fruit and to see that it's good and see them that the gospel is good and to give them an opportunity to respond to that gospel? Are you sharing the good news of Jesus or is it just a nice, healthy fruit? fruitful tree for you to enjoy. This brings us to a broader question. I want to actually close with this question. Um, Why why is it that God would plant these trees in the first place? Why would God do it? Have you ever thought about that? Like, even I'm going way back, all right, to creation. God created the world. It was good. Created Adam and Eve. And then they they fell. They, They ate the fruit and they fell. They sinned. They broke why didn't God just like wipe them out? 
and say, all right, I gave the like, human thing a shot and I'm like, done moving on to something else. Why does God choose to redeem people? Why does God choose to take some and rip them out of their environment and plant them in the gospel? Why? Some, some of you might say, well, it's for my, my good. It's for my own benefit. God did it because he loves me and he wants me to have a great life. And so he takes me and he plants me in the gospel so that I can enjoy him and so I can have a really good life. Others of you would say, no, 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 that's not why. God did it, does it so, for the benefit of others so that you, you may be able to uh, serve and, and do good things for the world and, and really benefit others. Now, while both of those things are true, neither of those things are actually right on. Why did God, why does God plant these trees? Why would God, even, I mean, let's think, make this very personal. Think of your life right now. Why would God change you this morning? For what purpose? And by the way, it is the work of God. I want to turn to one more passage. And if you, if you can turn there, it's Isaiah chapter 60. Turn to Isaiah chapter 60. It's about ha- a, little, a couple books past the Psalms. Isaiah chapter 60, we're going to look at one verse, verse 21. If you can't find Isaiah, don't worry about it. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 21. This again, it's, this is prophetic. It's looking toward the coming Messiah. It's looking toward the Christ who's going to come and save sinners and redeem God's people and, and make people and give them this land of, of bounty and beauty. So looking forward to that, Isaiah the prophet, he sees it and he prophesies. This is what he says in Isaiah 60. This is God talking. Then will all your people be righteous, and they will possess the land forever. They are the shoot, look at the next phrase, that I have planted. They are the shoot that I have planted. Like I took them from their natural habitat, and I planted them right here in this habitat that they can grow into what a human is supposed to be. They are the shoot that I have planted. Look at the next phrase. The work of my hands. So why is God doing this? Why is he taking trees and planting them over here? Why is he working in the souls of man and changing us into something beautiful and strong and fruit-bearing? Why does he do it? For the display of my splendor. For the display of my own splendor. We are planted in the gospel. We are to be drinking from the gospel. We are to withstand the heat of trials and temptations and have leaves that don't wither and we're to persevere and and prosper in all things. Why? For the display of God's splendor. God has done the planting. God has taken you and maybe even right now is taking your heart and breaking it and turning your soul around and doing a work in you that you could never do for yourself, bringing about change that's going to produce fruit. Why? For the display of his splendor. For the renown of his name so that God may become famous in Baltimore City. 
Why would we want to be a tree or a garden with a room full of healthy, dynamic, growing, fruitful trees, drinking from the gospel daily, producing fruit that tastes great and that testifies to the fact that the water is really good and inviting other people to come and drink this water with us. Withstanding trials and temptations, withstanding the tragedies of life, having a faith that perseveres. Why would we want to be a garden full of those kind of trees? It's not for our benefit. We want to be a garden full of those trees, those kind of trees, so that someone may be able to walk into the arboretum of this sanctuary for the display of God's splendor and see that God is good. That God is good. God can change you right now. Right where you're sitting. Will you look to Christ? Will you walk away from your sins? Will you walk away from the things that you've been drinking from, from the water that you've been drinking from? And will you turn and will you look to Christ where you can find the, the, the water that gives eternal life, that produces fruit. This is, this is why God would change you this morning. This is why God would do the work for the display of his splendor. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, we do want you to do this kind of work in our life. We fully understand and believe and, and feel, we experience the fact that we can't bring about the change that we want. We need you to like uproot us and plant us back in the gospel and the streams and the waters of the gospel. God, we want to be drinking from that every day. And how often we forget, how often we go back to the old water we once drank. God, thank you for bringing us here today. Thank you for using this passage, this text, to remind us of where our hope is, of where our life is. God, may, may we become a, a garden full of beautiful, healthy trees that are drinking from the gospel, that are producing fruit, that are withstanding trials and temptations and travesty and problems and they have this, this crazy faith that perseveres, prosperous in everything that we do, and may the world be able to come in and see a display of your splendor. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.